Greetings, and welcome to Etzheim's weekly podcast, recorded live in Richardson, Texas. We invite you now to join us for one of our synagogue's Shabbat messages. Shabbat Shalom. Yeah, it's me again. Um, the last time I spoke, I uh, gave a message discussing who the heirs of Abraham were. And I kind of joked that you know, David uh, impressed upon me the need to keep it at 45 minutes. And man, if I just had those last 15 minutes, which was a mistake because then David said, hey, can you speak again? And uh, well, I'm sure. And I have a certain methodology when I uh, prepare to do any kind of public speaking um, or if I'm going to court or giving a speech or something. And basically, I get ready well ahead of time. So in this case, I like to look at the parashah and see what may inspire me. And then about four days before I have to give my presentation, I take everything that I have prepared and I throw it away and I start over again. And, uh, and that's what happened this week, except this was a pretty rough week. I, I actually emailed or messaged David and said, I'm probably going to have to wing it. Um, but I do want to address from a different angle from what I originally had in mind, the issue of the inheritance and the blessing of Abraham. Um, not quite what I would have filled those last 15 minutes with. So now the bad news is, is uh, I only got about four hours of sleep because the dogs kept barking because of the storm and it was raining. So I had my best friend Lewis drive me in and we get here and I'm like, you know what? I left my Bible in my car. Um, but the good news is David's not here today, so I can go as long as I want. <laughs> so, so if it goes off the rails, don't worry, we'll get there eventually. So uh, I wanted to do as I like to often do and just read a bit from uh, the Torah portion today. I'm going to read from Lech Lecha on the overhead. Uh, Genesis uh, chapter 12, verses 1 through 7. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. And Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran, and Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abraham passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the Oak of Moreh. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. So when I try to understand and read the Bible, I have a certain personal exegesis that I realized I had developed. Firstly, I believe very strongly that God does not change. He's the same God yesterday as he is today as he is forever. And his promises don't go away. His word does not change. And the second thing is the Bible is truth. It's not just 
inspired or a good idea or, you know, persuasive. It is the truth. And I believe that the truth in the Bible is much deeper than what you see on the surface. This is actually a very common theme that I often uh, talk about whenever I speak or if you talk to me outside. I always talk about how I believe there's a deeper, more significant spiritual truth behind the natural truths of the Bible. And I didn't come up with this idea. A lot of people believe it. I, I do think that there is an error, though, that a lot of people make. A lot of people recognize that there is a spiritual truth to the Bible, and so they kind of cast aside the, the uh, natural truth. And I don't think that that's right. So one of the spiritual realities or spiritual truths of the Bible that I discussed last time was the idea of the blessing that God gave to Abraham. He gave him an inheritance. He gave him, as we see here, the inheritance of the land. And he promised it to him and his children. And I pointed out how in Hebrews 11, it actually says that Abraham and Isaac and Jacob never actually received this inheritance on earth. That they remained strangers in the land, sojourners. Of course, if you read it, it says, to your offspring I'll give this land, right? When you talk to Abraham. But what Hebrews points out is that Abraham, Isaac, and then Jacob ultimately understood that the actual inheritance that God was promising them was greater than simply the land of Israel. He was promising them another country, not just the country of Israel, but God's country. Not, not Texas, right? <laughs> but a heavenly country. And I said that those who have the faith of Abraham, whether you're Jewish or not, you become an heir of Abraham. Some, many people I think recognize this. I didn't make this up. But I think there's an error that's made where they say, well, okay, now we understand. The inheritance is salvation. The inheritance is heaven. So therefore, those practical promises get thrown out. And that's not right. Because with this promise, there is a promise of the land to the descendants of Abraham. Not all the descendants. God chose Isaac and not Ishmael. And then God chose Jacob and not Esau. And then he promised it to Jacob's children. Today we call them the Jews. And I believe very strongly that that land is theirs. God gave the promise of the land to Abraham. And we can see implied in the text that Abraham had faith. Why? Because God said, I want you to go to a land. I'm going to show it to you. I want you to leave everything you have, your father's house, and go to some land I'm going to show you. And there, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to bless all the nations through you. And I'm going to give it to your children. Did Abraham go? He did. He showed his faith through his feet. He went to the land that God promised him. And then when the inheritance and that blessing passed to his son Isaac, 
Did Isaac also have faith? Well, if you look on the next slide, Genesis 26, beginning in verse 1, it says, Now there was a famine in the land, beside the former famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Gerar, to Avimelech, king of the Philistines. Gerar is a settlement uh, in the southern portion of Israel. And the Lord appeared to him, meaning Isaac, and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and to your offspring I will give all these lands. And I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham, your father. And then it goes on to say, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and will give, you, give to your offspring all these lands. And in your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. So what did Isaac do? So Isaac settled in Gerar. So Isaac is facing a famine, a tribulation. And God says, don't leave. Because back then, we see Abraham went to Egypt for a time. Jacob goes to Egypt for a time when there's a famine, because famines are usually brought about by droughts. But in Egypt, they don't rely on the rain for their crops. They rely on the Nile. So it was very common for people to go to Egypt to buy food or try to resettle in Egypt. And God is telling Isaac, you're going to face some tribulation, but I'm telling you, stay in the land. And Isaac obeyed. And we can see the faith that Isaac had in God. So we have two of the three patriarchs. We have Abraham, Isaac. And we can see from stuff that I skipped the character of these men. Abraham, our father Abraham, he was a man of peace. He was hospitable. He was compassionate. Remember he, how he basically argued with God to spare Sodom and Gomorrah? Isaac was obedient to the point that he let his father tie him up and put him on an altar. He was loving, how he loved his wife the day he met her and it soothed him over the morning over his mother and how he was even seen lovingly caressing his wife. And these men were men's, men of faith. And they both received the heavenly inheritance because of their faith. Let's talk about Jacob. I might be slaughtering some sacred cows today because we like to look at the patriarchs in a positive light, which I think is warranted. But if you remove the spectacles of bias, you may notice that Jacob is kind of a jerk. And yet, it is through Jacob that God's people are named. God didn't qualify the inheritance after Jacob, right? Abraham, he chose Isaac, not Ishmael. And then, we're going to read in a second, with Isaac, he chose the younger son, Jacob, and not Esau. We read on the next slide. It says in Genesis 25, 
how the children struggled. And this is inside of Rebecca's womb. The children struggled together within her, and she said, if it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one, the one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. And when her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red, all his body like a hairy cloak. So they called his name Esau. Afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob, Yaakov. And Isaac was 60 years old when she, Rebekah, bore them. Interesting story. But let's think about it. Jacob and Esau were wrestling inside their mother's womb. Over what? And I think there's a clue that's given. Esau was ultimately born first. And then Jacob followed, holding on to his heel. And in my mind's eye, I feel that they were wrestling over who would be born first. Because the inheritance of the land typically would go to the firstborn son. You can't give it to all your children because in a few generations, you're going to have someone owning like, like a parking lot size thing, and then it's going to get smaller and smaller. So they usually give it to the firstborn. They get a, a bigger portion. And it's like they're wrestling over who would be born first. And as you would know it, Esau was born first. And it's like Jacob's holding on to his heel saying, oh, no, you don't. And I think this is very telling about Jacob's personality. God prophesied or gave this prophecy to Rebekah that the younger would serve the older. God is not a respecter of persons. God does not care who is the firstborn or not. And God chose Jacob. But Jacob, in his flesh, chose to fight for a blessing that he didn't have to work for, a blessing that God offered him for free. God chose Jacob. It says in Romans, and not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had not yet done, had done nothing either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told, the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. So God chose Abraham. It doesn't say that Abraham did anything to be chosen. And then God chose Isaac over Ishmael. And then God chose Jacob over Esau. The inheritance was Jacob's. It was nothing that he had to earn. It was God's divine election. Just like all of us, if we are believers and we have the faith of our father Abraham, not based on our works, God chooses us. But as I alluded to, 
this promise isn't just a mere spiritual promise. It's a physical promise too. I believe that God chose the Jewish people for a reason. I'm here speaking at a Messianic Jewish synagogue. I'm not Jewish, but I have a heart for the Jewish people. And I don't understand how anybody who is a believer can be anti-Semite. God has not rejected his people. God remembers his covenants. It says that God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob when they were in Egypt. And he delivered them from that tribulation through a great miracle and the parting of the sea. God remembered his covenant and for his own name's sake, not because of Israel's righteousness, but for his own name's sake and because of his covenant. In the days of Hezekiah, in the days of Hezekiah, people don't understand something. When the Assyrians came down, they destroyed the northern tribes. They say that the lost tribes of Israel, they were destroyed. And the people who were there were taken out of their land, and they're gone. But many of them fled south to Jerusalem. That's why in the days of Hezekiah, he had to expand the walls of Jerusalem. Refugees from the northern tribes with Judah. And then the Assyrians came south. And people don't realize this. The Assyrians also devastated Judah. One city was left. Jerusalem. And this just isn't in the Bible. They have uh, these weird clay rolling things that they found in ancient Nineveh that talks about the Assyrians going down and destroying all these kingdoms. And even that roll acknowledges the fact that there was one city that the Assyrians could not conquer the city that had the remnant of God's people, Jerusalem, both Judah and the other tribes, holed up in this city. Why? Well, the Assyrians don't want to say why, but we know from the Bible in the days of Hezekiah that he cried out to the Lord, and it says that the angel of the Lord that night went among the camp of the Assyrians and killed 185,000 of their fighting men. And so they had to retreat. And the one city was spared, Zion, Jerusalem. And if God will save the Jewish people in the days of their slavery in Egypt, and if God will save the Jewish people in the days of Hezekiah, and if he'll save the Jewish people in the days of the Maccabees, I promise you he'll save the Jewish people today. Because no weapon formed against you shall prosper, he said. I'm not saying that simply being Jewish gives you a free ticket to heaven. I discussed that last time. But God's covenant and promises don't change. It says on the overhead in Malachi, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. God has a plan for the Jewish people. He had a plan for the Jewish people previously, because it was from the Jewish people through David that the Messiah would come. And I think Hasatan did everything in his power to stop that. But he still has a plan for the Jewish people. They say, oh, there's be wars and rumors of wars and all this stuff before the end comes. That's been happening for 2,000 years. Well, you know what? 
there was a critical prerequisite that you have to have before the end times. I'm not saying the end times is happening tomorrow. I don't know when it's going to happen. But there's one critical thing you must have before the end times can come. You know what that is? The state of Israel. And it says in Isaiah 66, shall a nation be born in a day? Well, guess what? Israel was literally born in one day and was then immediately attacked and survived. It says in Jeremiah, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. And that verse is abused by the prosperity gospel. He's not talking about me getting a new Mercedes. He's talking to the people of Israel. So what is God's plan for us as believers, but also for the people of Israel? As Paul points out, in the end, all of Israel will be saved. There's just a temporary hardening of heart. Well, I think you can see the plan in the life of Jacob. As I said before, Jacob is chasing a blessing, an inheritance that is already his. And as we'll read, he will do everything he can to get what he thinks he deserves, by hook or by crook. On the overhead, we'll read from Genesis 25, an incident I'm sure we're all aware of. Once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field, and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew or that red stuff, right? I'm exhausted or I'm going to die. And that's why he was called Edom, the nation of Edom, which comes from the word red. And Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. And Esau said, I'm about to die. Of what use is my birthright to me? Jacob said, swear to me now. So he, Esau, swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose up and went away. Thus, Esau despised his birthright. Why did Jacob want the birthright? Well, the right of the firstborn is to receive the inheritance. And so he basically, under duress, kind of blackmailed his overly dramatic older brother. He didn't need to do that because God had already promised through his mother that the older would serve the younger. But it gets worse. In Genesis 27, we know that Isaac wanted to pass a blessing to his sons. And Rebekah concocted this scheme with Jacob for Jacob to now steal the blessing. So it says, so he, meaning Jacob, went into his father and said, my father. And he said, here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game, that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, how is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? He answered, because the Lord your God granted me success. Let's pause for a second. Did you hear Jacob blaspheme God's name for a lie? Because the Lord your God what you're going to hear today is that up to a certain point in his life, read what Jacob says. 
he never calls God his God up to a certain point in his life. He says, my father's God, the Lord God of my father, the fear of Isaac, my father. What's going on with Jacob? His father had faith. His father's father, Abram, had faith. Why is it your God? And why is he invoking God's name to lie to his father? And then it says, he said, are you really my son Esau? He answered, I am. And he said, bring it near to me that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him and he ate and he brought him wine and he drank. Then his father said to him, come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him. He betrayed his father with a kiss. And Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, see, the smell of my son is as the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you, and blessed be everyone who blesses you. Let me pause for a second here. Is there anything missing from this blessing? Is this really the blessing that Jacob ultimately wanted? Let's read on. We know that Esau discovered what had happened when he came with the game, and he learns that uh, from his father, that Jacob had stolen his blessing. It says in 27:35, but he said, "Your brother came deceitfully, and he has taken away your blessing." And Esau said, "Is he not, is he not rightly named Jacob, Yaakov, for he has cheated, which is from the root word Akav, cheated me these two times." So Jacob, they say, means like heel holder or heel grasper. But I, I looked into this a bit. It actually kind of means in a sense of to trip somebody up. It actually means deceiver or supplanter. Jacob the deceiver. For he has cheated or deceived me these two times. He took away my birthright, Bechorah, and behold, now he has taken away my blessing, his bracha. And then he said, have you not reserved a blessing for me? Did Isaac have any blessings reserved? Isaac answered and said to Esau, Behold, I have made him lord over you, and all his brothers I have given to him for servants. And with grain and wine I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, Have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Then Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, Behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall you your dwelling be, and away from the dew of heaven on high. By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. Now, that's not much of a blessing. It's kind of an anti-blessing, right? Sucks to be you, but it'll get better. Now, Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. Now, if you go back to Hebrews 11, as I discussed that last time on the overhead, it says, by faith, Isaac blessed Jacob 
and Esau concerning things to come. And that kind of intrigued me because did Isaac know it was Jacob he was blessing that first time? Did he? Make sure you pay attention. Did Isaac know it was Jacob? No. So then how could Isaac have blessed him by faith? There was one blessing that Isaac, believing it was Esau, he did not give. Did you catch it? What's the blessing that Abraham received as an inheritance, that Isaac then received as an inheritance? The blessing of the land. Isaac, believing it was Esau, blessed his firstborn, but did not give him that blessing by faith. And then when Esau said, hey, don't you have a blessing left for me? He said, sorry, son. He did. He did have a blessing, but he reserved it for Jacob. Because as we'll read, Rebekah told Jacob, you need to get out of here before your brother murders you, literally. And before he left, Isaac blessed him one more time. In Genesis 28, we'll read on the overhead. It says, this is his blessing to his son. God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you that you may become a company of peoples. May he give the blessing of Abraham to you and to your offspring with you that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham. Isaac, now knowing this is Jacob, gave him the blessing of the land. That's why I think Hebrews says he blessed them by faith. Now, shouldn't Jacob be satisfied? He got what he wanted. God ordained before he was born that he would receive that blessing despite being the younger. And now his father, before he leaves, gives him that blessing. Well, let's see what happens. On the overhead, we know that Jacob is now leaving the land promised to him in order to escape his brother. It says, and he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed. And behold, there was a ladder. And there's a footnote there to remind myself, or it could be a, a, a flight of stairs. Set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to the heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. Now think about this. He's sleeping on a, on a stone. It has to be a big stone because he later says that he sets it up as a pillar. And where he's laying on the stone, there's now a ladder with angels ascending and descending on it. And it says, and behold, the Lord stood above it. And by the way, I don't think that's a good translation. Some translations recognize this. There's a footnote in the ESV that says, or beside him. Some translation says, above him, meaning Jacob. In other words, I don't think God was standing at the top of the ladder. I think God was standing right there at his head where the ladder came down on the stone. And said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you, you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done 
what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, My, how dreadful or awesome this place is. There is none other than, this is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on the top of it. Isn't that strange? Is there another, what's really going on here? Angels were ascending and descending on the stone where he slept. Is there any other time in the Bible where it discusses angels ascending and descending? Remember what Yeshua said? You shall see the angels ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. He calls that place the house of God. Remember what God said to David, I shall build you a house, being a prophecy of the Messiah. And this is the gate of heaven. Who is the gate? Who is the door? Who is the way, the truth, and the life? I think this is a Messianic prophecy. And what does he do? He anoints it. You know what the word Messiah, Mashiach, actually means? It means anointed. So, that's good. Jacob recognizes something, I think. So we have our father Abraham, who was called to come into the land. And he, in faith, trusted God and obeyed. We have Isaac, who God says in this time of famine and tribulation, stay in the land. And by faith, Isaac obeyed and stayed in the land. He trusted God. And now we have Jacob, who is leaving the land. He's going into the diaspora. Does he trust God, who just promised him, I'm going to return you to this land. I'm going to give you this land. And he recognizes what it's about. Does he trust God? Well, on the next slide, it says, Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in the way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone, Yeshua, which I have set up for a pillar, shall be God's house. And all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. You'll see on the next slide, I kind of wanted to emphasize it. Jacob said, if God brings me back, then the Lord shall be my God. I think this is a picture and a story of Israel in the diaspora. But don't worry, we'll get to the end of the story. In the end, all of Israel will be saved. But do you see the if then? Abraham didn't say, if the Lord does this for me, then he'll be my God. Isaac didn't say, if the Lord will preserve me in the famine, then he'll be my God. But Jacob said, if the Lord brings me back to the land, then he'll be my God. Now, there's another promise that God has tied into the inheritance, which is related to the inheritance, and that is related to children. We know that the promised seed of Abraham, spiritually, is a picture of Yeshua. 
right? He said, to your seed, singular is pointed out by Paul. And we know that Abraham had faith. We'll see on the next slide. Talk about Abraham. It says, and he brought him, Abram, outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he, Abram, or Abraham, believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. What about Isaac? And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. So we have two miraculous births by faith. Abraham believed God. Isaac asked God, please give my wife a child. And God heard him. So Jacob, we know that he goes into the, into, back to Haran. He meets Laban. He meets you know, Rachel and Leah. And he's kind of tricked into marrying the wrong sister first. But he loved Rachel and worked for her for seven years. It was like a, a few days for him. And then Rachel has a similar problem. She also could not have children. What does Jacob do? Well, we'll read on the overhead. When Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, she envied her sister. She said to Jacob, give me children or I shall die. And Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel. And he said, am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? That's not what his father did. So we know the story of Jacob. He's with Laban. He's laboring. And Jacob is working hard because he wants to be successful. He wants that blessing. He wants to earn that blessing for himself. And he does this little scheme where he says, I'll take the speckled goats and you know, put the, the, the pole there. By the way, my wife was raised on a goat ranch of all things, but I'm not an expert in this, but I'm pretty sure you know, putting those things doesn't make one goat speckled or not speckled, right? It was actually God who was blessing him. It wasn't Jacob. It was God who was blessing him. And then finally, we see on the slide, we get to a point where it says, then the Lord said to Jacob, just as he said to Israel, return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. By the way, I don't know how a, a secular Bible scholar can read the Bible and study history and not be a believer. I mean, how many times does God say, I'm going to return you to your land after you've been scattered? And it happens. After Babylon, after the Romans, because they've come back again in my father's lifetime. So we know that Jacob leaves. He listens to God's voice, and he leaves, but he kind of absconds. He, he doesn't even say goodbye to his father-in-law. And his father-in-law catches up to him. And you see another aspect of Jacob's personality he kind of gets mad. He gets an argument. It actually says um, that Jacob became angry and berated Laban. And then they enter into an oath. And we see on the overhead, Jacob speaking. He says, firstly, if the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac, it's not if not my God, the God of my father, 
had not been on my side, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. God saw my affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked you last night, Jacob said to Laban, the work of my hands. It was God who blessed Jacob. And it says when they made their oath, so Jacob swore by the fear of his father, Isaac. Now, I know I'm kind of beating up on Jacob. But I think many of us have been like Jacob in our life. Growing up in a household where your parents believe in God and they make you come to services. But, and you, you believe in God. You know he's there. But is he your God? So Jacob returns to the land just as Israel's returned to the land. Now, there's a problem. Jacob left behind a brother, and they didn't exactly leave on good terms. So Jacob's like, let me try to appease my brother. So we see on the overhead, when Jacob makes his Amidah, uh, and Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother in the land of Seir, the country of Edom, instructing them, Thus you shall say to my Lord Esau, my Lord Esau, he's kind of sucking up to him. Thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, male servants, and female servants. I sent to tell my Lord in order that I may find favor in your sight. And the messengers returned to Jacob saying, we came to your brother Esau and he's coming to meet you. And there are 400 men with him. The chickens have come home to roost. Jacob spent much of his life up to this point in exile for his sins. And now he's coming back into the land, and now he has to face the brother that he wronged. I promise you, if Esau is coming with 400 men, it's not to throw a party. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. He divided the people who were with him and the flocks and herds and camels into two camps, thinking, if Esau comes to the one camp and attacks it, then the camp that is left will escape. By the way, I wasn't intending to discuss this today, but I think there's something very significant about the two camps thing. I think it also relates to how when Jacob blessed the two sons of Joseph, Menashe and and, uh, Ephraim, he says that they shall be Uh, Their seed shall be the multitude of the Gentiles. I believe that there are two groups of believers. The Jews, or God's people, the Jews and the non-Jews. And I think this is a shadow picture of that, but I'm not going to get into that today. So Jacob is facing the retribution of his brother. And what does he do? He does something that the scriptures record him doing for the first time in his life. He prays. On the overhead, you can see it says, And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham, and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, Return to your country and to your kindred, that I may do you good. I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff I crossed this Jordan, 
and now I have become two camps. It's no longer about his works, is it? Please deliver me from the hand of my brother Esau. For I fear him that he may come and attack me, the mothers with the children. And it says that that same night that he prays to God to save him from his brother, he arose and took his two wives and his servants and his children and he crossed, had them cross the Jabbok River. And there's, and there's a big misconception about this because he stays on one side and everyone else is on the other side. And people think that he was putting his family between his brother and him. And that's a misunderstanding. They're conflating some other aspects of it. Earlier, he sent various servants ahead of them. And later, he stacks his family, but then he puts himself at the head. What he's doing here is he's putting himself between his brother and his family alone. He prays for God to deliver him, and now he stands at the banks of the Jabbok River. By the way, Jabbok means poured out. He stands at the banks of the river and asks God to save him from his brother. And what happens that night when Jacob's left alone? It says this man just shows up and starts wrestling with him until daybreak. Isn't that strange? God, save me from my brother. And this dude just shows up and starts wrestling with him. And it says, when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket. And Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. And then you see the problem of not hitting save before you send your slides. Then he said, let me go for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob, deceiver. Then he, the man said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. This is not the first time in his life Jacob wrestled with somebody. He wrestled with his brother before he was born. And in a midrash, I believe he's wrestling again because Jacob's about to be born again. He would not let go. And it says that Jacob prevailed. Who was he wrestling? It says, then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, which means the face of God saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. If he was wrestling God, how could he prevail? Unless God allowed him to prevail. Unless God, in the form of a human being, humbled himself for his sake. 
It reminds me of what is written in Philippians 2, 6 through 8. It says, though he was in the, in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Jacob, the heel holder. But he, meaning Yeshua, emptied himself, which, by the way, is the name of the river, by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by being, what? What happened to Yeshua? He died on the cross for us. I think this is a picture of Yeshua. So we have a man, Jacob, who stole his brother's birthright, who lied to his father for his brother's blessing, who yelled at his wife, who defrauded his father-in-law. But God still chose him. And I believe he was born again. So I want to expound this a little bit. Remember, he asked him, what's your name? What was his name? What happened with Jacob is actually retold or referenced at least two other times in the Bible. One time it's by the prophet Hoshea, chapter 12, which we'll read. It says, the Lord has an indictment against Judah and will punish Jacob according to his ways. He will repay him according to his deeds. In the womb, he took his brother by the heel. And in his manhood, he strove with God. He strove with the angel and prevailed. He wept and sought his favor. So when Jacob said, I won't let you go until you bless me, he was weeping. He didn't want to let go. His whole life, he was chasing a blessing that was already his. And he would not let go until God blessed him. He wept and sought his favor. He met God at Bethel, which we'll talk about in a second. And there, God spoke with us. And what's God's name? When he says, what's your name? It says it here, the Lord, yod the God of hosts. The Lord is his memorial name. So you, by the help of your God, Return, hold fast to love and justice, and wait continually for your God. So Jacob, we know, was wrestling with God himself. His name is the Lord. Now, the question is, what was the blessing? Because in the chapter we read, it doesn't say what the blessing is. But then later on, it talks about how Jacob continues and it repeats the story that happened before. I don't think it was like, I don't think it happened twice. I think the Bible is repeating in reverse order Jacob's previous encounters with God. We'll read on the overhead, Genesis 35. It says, God appeared to Jacob again when he came from Padam Aram, that was from Laban, and blessed him at the Jabbok River. And God said to him, your name is Jacob. No longer shall your name be called Jacob but Yisrael shall be your name. So he called his name Yisrael. And God said to him, here's the blessing. I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come from your own body. The land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I will give to you 
and I will give you the land to your offspring after you. And then it says, and God went up from him in that place where he had spoken with him. Just like when the apostles were with Yeshua and he gets carried up into heaven. I believe the angel, so-called, angel of the Lord, by the way, in the Bible, when it says angel of the Lord, usually is a reference to God himself. It'll say the angel of the Lord, and then it says the person speaking is yod heh which is why I think it refers to this person as an angel in Hoshea. The blessing that Jacob finally accepted was that he had the inheritance of his fathers. And look very carefully. Before this point, they always say, the God of Abraham and Isaac. After this point, it's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God became his God that night. He became my God, my shepherd. So what's the point? The story of Jacob is the story of any one of us. Many of us, like I said, are raised in a home where our parents teach us about God. And we know about God, but does it really mean anything? And then something happens in your life. Maybe your brother's trying to kill you. Or maybe there's some type of a catastrophe. And God uses these things to turn us to him. But I also believe that this is the story of Israel. I believe this is the story of Israel returning to her land. In the end, it won't be tanks that save Israel. It won't be fighter jets. It won't be soldiers. It'll be God himself. I don't do um, end time stuff because that's not my speciality or my, my focus. I usually focus on Pauline stuff, which is hard enough. But I do believe that if you read Revelation and the other prophets, you see the story of what's going to happen with Israel. Surrounded by her enemies and flee Jerusalem. They're talking about Jerusalem. They're not talking about America. But I promise you, just like Jacob, Paul tells us, in the end, all of Israel will be saved. Shabbat shalom.